We're going to use number 296 as we change the order of service. <coughs> ask the congregation to stand, please. And I do ask to pray for these. I try to bring something from the Lord's Word this morning. <coughs> Again, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, I do ask that you pray for me as I try to share some thoughts with you from the scriptures today. I've got um, several verses on my mind again. Um, 
Last week I tried to speak a little bit about um, a point of doctrine that we, we believe, that we call the total depravity of man. Uh, this week I'm going to try to talk about uh, the doctrine of election, specifically uh, what we believe about it. Uh, might mention what some others believe. Uh, we specifically believe in, in what's called unconditional election. In our abstract of principles, in the third point, it says, we believe in the doctrine of election and that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Um, doctrines are those things that, uh, where we sort of form what it is we believe uh, in summary form. Uh, doctrines aren't made to replace Scripture. Uh, doctrines are made to represent what we believe is found in Scripture. So it's not, uh, it's not that these doctrines that we hold to, and I've been specifically looking at that, uh, some people call it the five points of Calvinism, uh, I've been trying to go through uh, Brother Harold Hunt's uh, little book again, the, the Lost Doctrine of Calvinism, I think is the name of the little book. Um, basically, he talks about those particular points, and they make the acronym TULIP. We just use that because it's easy to remember, TULIP. That first point being total depravity. The second, the U, being unconditional election. And so that's what I'm going to try to speak on uh, today, if, I, if the Lord would allow me to, this concept of unconditional election. Um, many people have many different views of election. A lot of people are, uh, they hate hearing about it. it. It is, to me, I think it is probably... Well, any truth, any truth found in God's word is repulsive to our nature, to our human nature. We hate it. We hate the truth of God's word as, as natural humans. When Jesus came to his own people, he was there and he was speaking to them about uh, who he was and he said, you know, uh, there was a, uh, a famine in the land and God only sent his messenger to one person uh, and she was outside of the nation of Israel. He said there were many lepers in the country in the old days and God only sent uh, his prophet to heal one of them and, and he wasn't even of this country and they all got mad at that, at the statement of God's ability to make a choice and it wasn't them. That's, that's what made them mad. Uh, the same thing holds true today. When you begin to talk about election, uh, people want you to think that what that means is that there are people out of the world that love God, that want to be saved, and because of this mean old doctrine of election, uh, they don't get that. They can't. And I and I and I obviously I believe I sincerely believe that our the what we believe in as election is severely misrepresented out in, in the world because they they the world points at us and and uses that as as that straw man to so that they can knock that down easily. Um, Election is mentioned in Scripture a, a lot of places in Scripture, more, more so in the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament, as far as I know, the idea of being elect, the, the actual words elect, are only used in the book of Isaiah. Nowhere else in the Old Testament. Now, obviously, the Lord, uh, when the Lord comes and he says that he chose Abraham, well, that's the same concept. So it's not like it's not taught in the Old Testament but it is uh, the word elect is only found uh, in the book of Isaiah. And it's found several times there in, in Isaiah. 
a couple of times specifically talking about Jesus Christ as the as his as his elect, as God's elect, as the one chosen to go and do the work, the redeeming work. He refers to Israel as his elect, as his chosen nation, as the one he uh, places his love and affection on. And and in the Old Testament, those that imagery used back there is just that. It's imagery. It's used to represent God's plan and how God worked in all of time, uh, yet pictured in uh, in the family of Israel. In the, the book of First Peter, and I'm just going to read several different passages. I don't know if I'll settle on a spot very long or not, but there's several passages that have come to my mind that I would like to share um, some thoughts on. I'm going to start in first the first epistle, epistle of Peter. Peter, if I could speak today, that also helped. First uh, uh, Peter. In, the, in 1 Peter, first chapter, he begins this way. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, he says, elect, and there, there's that scary word, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, unto you, the blood of Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So there's the beginning of, his, of Peter's letter to uh, all of those strangers, all of those scattered, but to the elect. He's speaking to all the elect. Now, some will take this particular passage and they'll use this as their as their defining moment of election and in its concept they say you see uh, elect means all of those that God foreknew and I totally agree with that election means all of those that God foreknew Romans the 8th chapter of Romans we, we know that verse very well for whom he did foreknow verse 8 and 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate there's another word that, that kind of coincides with election. You can't really teach election without that concept of predestination. Because what does election mean? Election means to, to choose out before. Well, what does predestined mean? Predestinate means to determine beforehand. To decide before. Well, people often take this particular passage that's found here in Peter's uh, uh, letter and they'll say, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And so what happened was God looked down through the portals of time and he saw all of those that would be obedient, all of those that would... Brother Jimmy told me today that he was not a Christian. He found that out this morning when he was watching television. Said a guy, the fellow there on TV said, unless you say the sinner's prayer, you cannot be a Christian. Brother Jimmy says he... Afraid he might not have said that right. He might not have said the sinner's prayer, so he can't be a Christian. Many people will tell you that God looked down through time, through all ages, and saw all of those who would be obedient and, and say the right thing and reach out to Him. Uh, the passage that you know we can use for that, uh, Romans chapter uh, ten. Verse, uh, let's see, verse 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's scriptural. That's scriptural. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You call on God for salvation, you'll be saved. Now, if you'll go back and look at that in its context, in the book of Joel, where that's originally found, you can see that the, the deliverance or the saving that they need is from their surroundings, is from things around them. It's not talking about eternity. But people, again, will tell you that this uh, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God saw all those that would choose Him, and therefore He, in turn, chose them. Now, again, I, I often use this uh, 
idea or this concept when I'm talking about uh, scripture and scriptural ideas. I, I want to get the word across or the point across that God chose his language very precisely. Uh, in, in the English language, I believe that this King James Bible is, has been inspired by God. God, when the translators wrote all of these English words down, they chose English words that had very specific meanings to them so that we couldn't misunderstand what it is God is trying to say to us. Oftentimes, men misunderstand, and they, uh, Peter says, I think it's Peter, men wrest the scriptures. That means they wrestle with it and they tear them out of context. He says that's what men do. And men do that. But God uses plain language so in order to make it more difficult for us to misunderstand what he's saying. The concept of being born again, for example. If you are born, what part did you play in being born? I still remember Brother Carly one morning just giggling about something, and I came in and asked him what he was laughing about. He was been talking to Brother Houston, and I, he said, Well, I heard this morning a man on the radio said, you got to go get yourself born again. He said, you ain't never seen nobody go get themselves born. It's, they, God uses plain language for us, words that we understand, words that we know, in order to help us not misunderstand what he's saying. Election, for example, is one of those things. We all know what an election is. Uh, it, the election doesn't mean that uh, those who run for president look out and see all who would choose them, and therefore they decide they're going to be president because, hey, I think all of those people are going to choose me. I mean, if that was the case, we'd still have a President Trump, right? He was sure everybody was going to choose him. I don't know that everybody didn't. I don't know anything about all that. But I do know this. Election works the other way around. The choosing is done first. The choosing is done first in the book of Romans um, and I'm going to leave that, my bookmark here. I've got a bunch of bookmarks. Uh, but I'm going to leave that one there because I, I may need to come back to that. In the book of Romans, in the ninth chapter, the Lord also, in, in this ninth chapter, this is the election chapter, I think. If there is a chapter that teaches us about election, it is this particular chapter. Now, what happens is when a lot of people teach from this particular chapter, they teach it in, in a way to, to, to make you think that it's all about the fact that God uh, uh, loved Jacob and hated Esau. Esau is, Esau is the non-elect and Jacob's the elect. Now, in a sense... In that sense, those two brothers were used as a picture of election. I do not think Scripture is teaching us there that it is that Jacob got to go to heaven and Esau did not get to go to heaven. I do not think that's what this is teaching us. Whether or not Esau was an elect child of God, that is between God and God. Okay, that is none of my business. I don't, I don't have any right to that information. I can't tell you if that's the case or not. But what this particular passage or this chapter is teaching us is who does the choosing. It's all about choice. That's what election really means, choice. In uh, Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is talking about some various things. And he leads into that with this concept of election. He says, uh, and I could really get, it's not a good place, because I'm going to start at, uh, I'm going to start at verse 6. There's a lot in those first five verses that we could spend a lot of time on, but I'm, I really want to focus on just election this morning. This idea of election and what it is and what it is we believe about it. And so I'm going to start at verse 6. He says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are Israel, 
What does that mean? They are not all Israel, which are Israel. Now, he'd just been talking about uh, Israel and what he really wished for them, uh, but he, he lays out a truth for us here that they are not all of Israel, which are Israel. Let's try to find out what he means by that. Neither because that they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now, how does that sort of jive with this idea that God looked down through the portals of time and saw how everyone would behave and all those that would choose him, and, and finally, out of all those that would choose him, he in turn chose them. That was how he formed this concept. That's how he elected. He says it's not just because they happen to be of one parentage or another or what they decided. In John's Gospel in the first chapter and the, uh, let's see, 13th verse, he makes, he brings that point out clearly. He says, talking about those, some specific ones, he says, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The idea that John was getting across there to us, and the idea that Paul is, is about to get across, get over to us, is that it is in God's choosing. God is the chooser. God makes those decisions for us. Not, for this is the word of promise. So it's not about whether or not what our lineage is. It's not about what our will is. We've got that verse there in John's Gospel. It's not about what our will is or what our, uh, our, uh, uh, what our flesh decides it wants to do. But it's all about what God wants to do. It's about His purpose. Remember that. It's His purpose. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. At this time shall I come. I want to, in the book of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, uh, there is a narrative about, we, we all know what happened in the book of Genesis. We there's several things there, but one of the key things that happened in the book of Genesis which is related to election is that God established his covenant with Abraham. Now, Abraham was a very old man, and Abraham had no natural children. Zero natural children. And God came to him and said, through your seed, all of the nations in the world are going to be blessed. Through your seed. And we get on down a few chapters into the book of Genesis. And in the 15th chapter, we get to a place where he says, look, look at all this. I'm, I brought you out here and I'm going to show you all this. All this is going to be to your seed. And Abraham says this. Genesis 15 Verse 2, And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of, of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. That's not my purpose. That's not what I've decided to do, Abraham. I've told you what I've decided to do, and that's not it. You've got it all wrong. He says, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and he said, look now toward the heaven and tell the stars if thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And it goes on, it says, Abraham, believe God and that was accounted to him or credited to his account as righteousness because he trusted God. <clears throat> God came and made a promise. What, was, what does uh, Paul say about the promises of God? Titus, Titus chapter 1, God who cannot lie. Very good. God who cannot lie. If God promised it, he can't lie, you'll have it. So the word is a, 
For this is the word of promise in uh, Romans 9. This is the word of promise. At that time I shall, uh, will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah's going to, and we all know how that played out. And she did conceive and she did have a son and she brought him forth. Uh, Isaac came, was born from that relationship. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived uh, by one, even our father Isaac. So again, down that same line, there was two children born. Two children born from that relationship between Isaac and Rebekah. They were brothers. They were actually twin brothers, but apparently they didn't look anything alike. One was kind of a small fellow. The other one was all big and red and ruddy and uh, anyway verse 11 for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil the children not yet born neither having done any good or evil I think God placed that there in order for us to see that election is not based on what his creation might or might not do okay not to tell us that that Jacob is uh, is an elect child of God and Esau is not an elect child of God. It's he may not be. I think you could build a pretty good case about old uh, old uh, Esau. But there's a whole lot of people in the Bible you can build a pretty good case against. For example, uh, well, I'm not even going to get into that. You can build a pretty good case against me too, and I pray to the Lord. That I am an elect child of God. I hope I am. Sometimes I really feel like I am. Sometimes I'm sure. Some days I'm, I wonder a lot. But that's not what he's teaching us here. What he's teaching us here is this. For the children being not yet born, neither having, having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. It is not of works, but of him that called. God didn't look down through the portals of time to see who would do good enough works, who would choose him, and then he in turn choose them. God foreknew a people. And if you want to really get lost in something someday, think about how long God's known you. Just try to, try to meditate on that. If you want to feel good someday, just think about how long God has known you. When does God learn things? Well, you know God doesn't learn things. He's never learned anything. Why? Because God's always known everything. Always. And so how long has he known you? Always. See, there was a people God foreknew. Now, I would uh, make the claim that that concept of foreknow means to forelove. God loved you ahead of time. God loved you ahead of time. And it was his purpose. And you see, that's the thing we want to know about election. Election is according to God's purpose. Election is not according to my purpose. It's not according to our purpose. It's according to God's purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, the called or the elect people of God are all of those that God chose because God decided it was so. Not because he says, oh, that one would be real good. Do you know what the name Jacob means? It means, you probably all probably have heard this before, it means supplanter. Supplanter. Uh, when the, he came, when the, they were born, it, the Bible tells us that he had a hold of Esau's heel. He was hanging on to him. He was right under there trying to trip him up when they were born, and he was trying to trip him up his whole life. Well, Jacob wasn't a good man. Jacob was just like everybody else. He was rotten to the core. But in the purpose of God, he saved him. He used him as a... And again, like I, 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 I don't want... I hate to call out and say that these men are... Uh, this man is, a, is an elect child of God. This man is not an elect child of God. Again, that's not my purpose this morning. My purpose this morning is to say, who does the electing? It's God. It's the purpose of God. Um, in the Ephesian letter, the apostle uh, Paul again says this. He says, uh, 
He says in verse Ephesians 1 and 10 beginning that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated there's another one of those scary words according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. If you, if you can't get a hold of it with that text, it's going to be very hard to get a hold of it. It is that God didn't go to anybody for counsel. It, last week I tried to speak a little bit on the concept of total depravity. And if you understand total depravity, uh, Elder uh, Oliphant had this quote that he says... Uh, in, in order for us to rightly understand the cure, in order for us to fully understand the cure, we must rightly understand the disease, something along those lines. Well, if you understand the severity, the nature of our disease, the concept of total depravity, total depravity means, and, and I'll just use our, this is our point of doctrine again, this is what we believe, uh, we believe in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature of his own free will and ability. We, we, there's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves. The best righteousness we have, the prophet Isaiah says, is his filthy rags. And when we try to use that in order to, to promote ourselves to God... You're going, to, you're going to say, here, here, God, take all these filthy rags. That's the best I've got. If that's the best you've got, that's not, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. So it's, God had to do the choose. God chose. Back there in the third chapter of Romans, we read all those uh, statements that the Apostle Paul makes, these accusations against uh, fallen mankind, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seek after God. There is none that does good, no, not one. I mean, that's a pretty scathing uh, uh, accusation against natural man. But in the purpose of God, God purposed it. God decided it. And seeing how our nature was as a as fallen humans, it had to be unconditional. So when we believe, when we say that we believe in election, we don't just believe in the idea of uh, of God looking down and saying, oh yeah, there's a bunch of good people down there. I'm going to choose them because they're a bunch of pretty good people. Not great, but they're pretty good. Uh, Paul describing in this Roman letter about the, what Christ did for us, he uses that uh, that little analogy there of, of, of how one man might die for another. He says, you know, and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He says, for when we were yet without strength, not when we were, you know, again, like the old line and Princess Bride, mostly dead, no, we weren't mostly dead. We were all dead, completely dead, without strength. We didn't have enough strength just to reach up to God. The, the, the painting of Michelangelo uh, on the Sistine Chapel, you got God reaching down, man reaching up. That never happened. That never happened. Man's laying there flat on his back, and God comes down and gets him. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely uh, for a righteous man will one die. If, if I've got a really good friend of mine and I know he's under penalty of death and I know he's a really, really good guy, I just might stand in for him. I, I wouldn't probably, but that's what, he's, that's what this is saying. If you know somebody that's really good and you know they're about to die and things will be a lot better if they don't die, you might just die for them. Might. That might, might be what happened. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some might even dare to die. If you're really good, somebody, more people might stand in for you, but if you're just kind of good, there's probably only a few that would stand in for you. Probably some of those really good people. But he says, but God, 
in contrast to that, how that might play out in nature. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Had to be unconditional if we were ever to, to have any hope of salvation. Had to be unconditional uh, because there's nothing good or redeeming about us. And Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, in that letter Paul says, uh, talking about this idea of salvation, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. It wasn't anything that we have done, but it was according to his own purpose and grace. And then the idea of when it actually took place. This is another one of those things that people, people uh, have a hard time getting their head around. It took place before the foundation of the world was given us the purpose. Grace was given to us. That's what was given to us, grace. How was it given to us? In Christ, by the purpose of God, in Christ, when was it given to us? Before the foundation of the world. Before the world began, that's what he says. Before the world even began. Uh, another one of those verses, Titus 3 and 5, um, talking about this salvation, Titus 3, 4 beginning, he says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the Holy Spirit. That's a, another different uh, aspect of our doctrine, the concept of the new birth, regeneration, but we understand it was by the purpose of God according to his mercy and grace and not because of our works. Uh, the Ephesian letter, we, we, all of us are very pretty familiar with that Ephesian letter. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins there in the second chapter. Verse 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Election, God picked deciding his who to pick was because he decided who to pick. It was all God. And that's what that this uh, this Roman letter is teaching us. And it's, again, I, I want to emphasize that this is not teaching us about who is or is not saved for heaven here. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. In what sense is that? It is the sense that in, in the lineage of Christ, I have chosen, and Esau is not going to be in that lineage. It's going to be Jacob. The, the Messiah is not going to come from the lineage of Esau. It is going to come from the lineage of Jacob. That is the whole point of this teaching. It's teaching who, who was it that decided that? You know, you go all the way again back to the book of Genesis and you can read the exploits of, of uh, Abraham back there. And Abraham, to me, was uh, obviously a little... Uh, sometimes he looks... Looks like he's a, a really great warrior, and sometimes he looks like a, you know, one of the three stooges. He's just bumbling and he makes bad choices and bad mistakes. In the encounter with the king of Imelech, uh, to me, is one of the most foolish encounters that you can read about in Scripture. And and, and remember, God had come to Abraham and said, through you, through this. Uh, through this union between you and Sarah, my uh, the entire world is going to be blessed. Now, I don't think he understood that that meant the Messiah was going to come out of him. I don't, maybe he did understand that. Maybe not. But he, he gets into this place, and uh, we can read about it in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, where Abimelech finds them and ends up taking Sarah, his wife. And so I can just, you know, as the world teaches about God, you can just see God up there wringing his hands saying, oh no, uh, I decided that, that my seed was going uh, to come through the union of Abraham and Sarah, and now Sarah's 
been taken by somebody else and what are we going to do? Well, that didn't, that didn't impact God at all. You see, man's, as hard as man may try to intervene or to, to derail the plans of God, he has never been successful at it because he can't, because you can't oppose God. Because by definition, God is all-powerful. You can't oppose somebody that's all-powerful. And you see, if God had a choice, and so, now just long story short, that encounter with Abimelech, King Abimelech, God came to him in a dream at night and said, you know, you're a dead man. And Abimelech said, oh, but I, didn't, I didn't even touch her. And he, God said, yeah, I know you didn't. I didn't let you. I didn't let you. You see, God's not worried about man causing problems or God's not worried about man making right decisions. God's not worried about anything. God makes a decree and it happens. You see, if God had a choice of a people, they will be saved. Why? Because it's His purpose. Because God is omnipotent. God, that means He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There's nowhere God is not. You can't do anything to surprise Him. You can't sneak anything by Him. You can't do anything to outrun Him or hide from Him. The psalmist says, I can go as high as I can get and I still won't be away from you. I can go as low as I can get and, and you're still there. Because it's who God is. And in the purpose of God, He decided that He was going to choose His people. Um, first chapter of the book of Ephesians again that Ephesian letter another one of those places we go to a lot because it, it really clearly plainly teaches this doctrine the apostle Paul again says uh, Ephesians 1 and 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ and notice always it is in Christ and always it is not if we would just get ourselves in Christ. We've been placed in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2 and 6, and hath raised us up together and made us set in heavenly places in Christ. He, he, does, he does this for us on our behalf because it's His purpose. He chose. Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him. And there's the concept of election again, the idea of a choice. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. How, how, I don't feel very blameless a lot of the times. I don't feel very blameless. I feel very blameworthy, okay? I'm, I'm sure a lot of people do. I'm sure a lot of people feel blameworthy. But do you know it's only the people who feel blameworthy? <laughs> that are God's children? It's only those people. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Again, there, and here it is this concept of how the choice was made, what the choice was made, according to his, the good pleasure of his will. He decided it. It was his, his good pleasure. This is what I want, this is what I get. If he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, who's going to oppose that? Who could oppose it? The, the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. The armies of heaven even. Reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will. In the armies of heaven and in the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Who's going to oppose it? The, the concept that... that and that, that's a whole different story, and I'm not even going to get into that. But the idea, the idea that man has the final say of, of where he spends eternity just, just pokes, pokes at God, just mocks God. 
It's a mockery. It's a mockery to God's election. If God, if God decides something, you get what you want. It, if God decides, he gets what he wants. That's, that's what I meant to say. God gets what God desires. To the praise and the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the blood. I, I kind of went, went a little forward uh, too much there. The, the idea that only those who feel like they're not very worthy are the ones that are worthy. You see, because this feeling of, of guilt, this feeling of, uh, of uh, wanting to please the Lord only comes to us because we are the Lord's. You see, while we before we were made to feel that, we had no feelings at all toward God. One of the, the amazing facts, one of the, that, that's to me, so much of the world has the cart before the horse. Again, I just don't understand why they want, they want to try to convince saved people to be saved. So many people out in the world today, they're, they're, uh, they're broken and contrite. We were talking about that word the other day in, in our, I guess it was maybe last night we were talking about that word. This idea of being contrite, broken and contrite. There, there are so many people in the world today. The world teaches them that, oh, you're broken and contrived. Well, all you need to do is get saved. Now, they do. But that goes all the way back around to that Romans 10 and 12. Deliver me from whatever it is that is haunting me right now. Whether it be, and in that case, in the book of Joel, it was famine everywhere. Uh, it was... Things were going, it was bad. You know who will deliver you? The Lord God will. Call out to Him. He'll deliver you from whatever it is you need delivered from. And in the case of people who are broken and contrite, the message, the message that Christ has already saved them is the only thing that will relieve, relieve that for them. <clears throat> The book of Galatians gives us the uh, uh, kind of those things that helps us to see uh, that we are God's children. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. You, you, these are the things that God places in us to give us evidence that, so that we can know that we are His children. But rest assured, we are his. If we are his children, we are because it was his purpose. And again, I'll read that uh, passage there in Titus, and I'm gonna. I've got a lot of other bookmarks stashed around, but there's there'll just be way too many to to read. But I, I will read one other verse. Let me read this before I go to the book of Titus. This idea that God uh, God chose everyone. That would be the other, a different kind of view of election, uh, where we call we call it uh, unconditional election. This would be conditional election. In other words, God chose everybody, but based on conditions. And and then again, again, you just have to go to the Word of God to make it clear that God did not choose everyone. He he says in the Book of Revelation as they. As they talk about all the redeemed, he says, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain. Thou was slain. Uh, Jesus, when he came to his disciples, he said to them, he said, uh, I didn't come to uh, be served, but I came that I might uh, serve and give my life a ransom for many. He didn't say all. He says for many. Now that's that's a different point. We're going to get to that maybe next week, Lord willing. Uh, that, that's the idea of atonement. And this covers the atonement here as well. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Again, it's all through Christ. And then here's the key that lets us know that it was not everyone. Because he says out of. Out of. 
He didn't redeem every individual in every nation and kindred and tongue and people. He redeemed some out of. How many are there? Well, again, here's where the world get, goes off the rails and they want to tell you, oh, that old mean doctrine of election. They want to tell you that, that uh, uh, there's, uh, there's so many people out there in the world today that are just really wanting to be saved and go to heaven, but, but because of your doctrine of election, they can't get there because they weren't chosen. There's not a single person that wants to go that's not there because the number of the redeemed is... When, he, when the Lord took Adam out on the edge and says, look up at the stars, he says, number them if you can, because he couldn't. Because they're countless. God's people are as are great multitudes, countless as the stars of heaven and as the sands of the seashore. I've, you know, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever been to the beach and you just get a scoop full of sand in your hand. Can you count the grains in that? It's impossible impossible to number the grains. That's, that's how his elect are. Countless. Countless. Uh, I'll finish with that, that verse I mentioned when, uh, from the book of Titus again. The, the glorious thing about this is that it is God's purpose and if God purposed it, you shall receive it. Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, what does he mean there about the faith of God's elect? The thing that all of God's people believe. This is for God's people. This is what God's people believe. He says, uh, the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. All of those other teachings, all of those other doctrines, which are not in accordance with the faith of God's elect. How can he say that, that, God, that God's chosen people have a doctrine if there's not one? God's chosen people have a doctrine. We have a doctrine that we abide by. We have a doctrine that we believe in. And I'm, I'm, that's what we're laboring over lately is those, these points of doctrine, the things we believe. So we can acknowledge them in the truth because that's after godliness. Because every other acknowledgement of these false doctrines, Paul covers that in the, book, the first of the book of Galatians, all these other gospels which are not really another gospel because there's not but one true gospel. Only one. And it's God had people. He chose them. Christ died for them. The Spirit of God regenerates them and makes them new. And they all will live with Him in heaven regardless of what they know, where they live, where they've been. Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And if there is anything I think that can comfort a child of God is hearing those words God promised you'll have it. And Lord help us remember that's mine.